I was like dating guys on the down low and I was terrified that somebody would find out that I was now on a date with a guy because I'd labeled myself as a lesbian and that's who people knew me as. And I was afraid that the community would say that I wasn't gay enough, that I had been pretending to be lesbian. But first, a word from our sponsors. Beducated.com teaches you real sex techniques using real people, not just diagrams and pussy puppets. Get 70% off an annual membership with code MANHOR at beducated.com. That's code MANHOR at B-E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D dot com. Or click the link in the show notes. Are you looking to start a podcast? Want to use audio as a marketing tool for your small business? Enjoy free credits when you use my promo code BILLY at Libsyn.com. That's Libsyn, L-I-B-S-Y-N.com, or click the link in the show notes. Now let's get to the show. Welcome to the Man Whore Podcast. What's up, all you bye babes, bye guys, and bye bye birdies? This is Billy Presida, and you're listening to the Man Whore Podcast. What's up, what's up? Welcome to the pod. This week's guest is filmmaker Fiona Dawson. She got a new book coming out called <laughs> Are Bisexuals Just Greedy? Fucking settle down, okay? She's one of them. She can say that. <laughs> but uh, we got a great conversation for y'all coming up with her. It's a it's a very bi episode. It's uh it's she's kind of like a real life chasing Amy to be honest with you. Uh, but first, everybody, we got a new year coming up. I mean, depending when you're listening to this episode, it might already be the new year. Hell, depending when you're listening to this, it might be a whole different new year. You know, maybe you're listening to this in 2024. I don't know. I mean, like you know, if there's anyone from the future listening, like hello. I hope that you are planning to experiment with something, to try something new. Let them stick it up in that spot. Yeah, put that in your mouth. Give it a who knows. Go to a sex party. Why not? And I want to know your slutty resolutions for 2022. Okay, so shoot me an email at manwhorepod at gmail.com with your slutty New Year's resolutions. I want to hear them. And you may just hear yours on a future episode. Who knows? Maybe like at the end of the year, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll check in with you and, and see how you did. Again, manwhorepod at gmail.com. Me, I don't have any uh, slutty resolutions, I think, for my personal. I, well, that's a lie. I definitely have I have like a scene I can't share with you in mind. Oh, but gosh, does it involve stranger play and a blindfold and a very loving, trusting person nearby to uh, uh, keep me safe during the scene and... And hopefully it will leave me just kind of, you know, covered and drenched in some kind of liquid. Um, but, you know, well, if, if I'll tell you about it, maybe if I accomplish it, we'll see. But for the podcast, gosh, do I have slutty resolutions? I really want to do more of those, uh, we'll say, orally stimulating episodes that we've done over the years that you all seem to enjoy oh so very much. Yeah, you know, happy ending massage episode, the oral sex auditions, you know, probably the all time favorite episode, uh, you know, watching us fuck at desire. Even when Sarah blew her way across, blew her way from from Philly to Brooklyn. Remember that? 
yeah, I want to do the naked episode. I want to do the even episode 400, whose mouth is it anyway? I want to do some more of that because time is short and you never know how long you're going to get to hold the microphone. So why not do them now? So I, my brain is churning. I am pondering. I want to figure out just more ways to be, oh gosh, I don't want to say tastefully filthy, but um, tastefully sexual. On the pod, I, I love when I get an email after an episode where it was like, hey, like that was a really interesting, great conversation. But also I found myself like really wet or really hard or touching myself during your podcast. And I'm like, mm, yes, that is that's the goal. Like, I know I want to interview a whole orgy one day. I don't know if I'll get to do that in 22. That one might require some funding. But like, you know, I want so stay tuned, stay ready, get set because I'm open that. People will be coming on this microphone. I mean, like having orgasms in front of the microphone, not coming onto the microphone. I don't want to have to replace the shit. I don't know if it's cum or squirt resistant, but you know what I'm what I'm trying to say here. So I would say those are my my slutty resolution is to to uh, get things slutty again on this mic. Uh, another Christmas has come and gone. Uh, pretty low key Christmas uh, with the Presidas. There's a lot of like anxiety and just like complication and everyone worrying about like, can I get a test? Will I get a test? What will the test say? I mean, I live out me and, and one of my sisters and, and her man, you know, we live in Brooklyn and there is, I mean, people were trying to, people were ready to like suck some dick to get a, an at-home test to be like, yo, you got an extra test, man. I was walking home. I saw a dude with a trench coat. He had the trench coat open. He's like, yo, man, I got tests. I got tests. What you need? You need a COVID test? I got COVID tests. No, we don't got Abbott. We got Tabbit. Okay. But it's the same thing. It still works. It's, you know, it's 72% effective. It's fine. Come on. I got tests for you. I got tests. You want other tests? I got SATs. I got LSATs. What you need? I got tests. Had a pretty low key Christmas. It was pretty chilled out. Um, we, we, we didn't go, I like Santa kind of skipped over the house this year and that's okay. All right. So even Santa's got to socially distance a bit. Uh, but Santa did get me, did get me one thing that I really did want. Um, Santa got me my girlfriend back. Yeah. Wallet Note Lady and I are back together. It's a fish. Pretty great consolation for not getting me that Xbox, Santa. I'll take the I'll take the girlfriend back. That works. I have you know, she we we were back on texting terms and we're seeing if things were gonna things were starting to look in the right direction. But you know, on Christmas Day, she uh like in the evening she she was saying well, I could only see you tonight and I, I can't take you away from your family. And I was like, you know, my family's good, right? You know, we, I was watching Yellow Jackets with my sister, Kelly. My mom had already been getting ready for bed. It was like six o'clock. Uh, my family is a big Christmas Eve to Christmas afternoon kind of family. You know, like after after three thirty, four o'clock on Christmas Day, like we're done. Everyone's off the hook. Go forth and do what you need to do. And so I... I left Jersey and I drove back to uh, I drove back to Brooklyn and no words just ho- grabbing and squeezing each other like like I was picking her up from the airport after like a long trip, you know that type of that that, that type of hug where you try, where you squeeze so hard to see if there's any like way you could get molecularly closer to the other person It's kind of like that and just smiling and looking at each other and I mean gosh we weren't even like doing tongue kisses or anything it was really just like wow, you're here in front of me. I'm here in front of you. Like, oh my gosh. It's been like a really emotional um, month or so since uh, since the breakup. So just like, whoa. 
anyways, wish us luck. I hope I'm not speaking prematurely. I hope next week's intro isn't, ooh, I spoke too soon. <laughs> but <laughs> Lord knows that's happened before on this show. Um, but yeah, y'all, this is a, you know, she's a special one. And I, I want to I wanna tell y'all more about her in the new year. I got to talk to her and see what she's comfortable with me saying. But this woman makes me happy. This woman makes me feel sexy. This woman makes me feel loved. I can't find like a bad thing about her. I can find faults like we can in anybody. But like I can't find or seem to detect like badness or meanness. You know, there's not really like malice um, in her soul. So we'll see what's up. We'll see what's up. Wallet note lady. And yes, when I came over to replace Christmas night, she did write a couple post-it notes and she had them on the pillow of her bed, which I didn't see probably for at least like a half hour. You know, we were like in her living room and we were kind of just like catching up and we're on her couch and we were talking and then we started kissing and and eventually she brings me back to the bedroom and I, I, we, we walk in and some fucking post-it notes, the wallet lady post-it notes on the, on the pillow, picked it up, put it in my wallet. So right now I've got some wallet. Now I'm just being gross, right? I'm just being like disgusting and adorably gross. So I'll stop. I'll stop. Okay. We're back together moving forward because we got a show for you today. But before we do the show, we got to do a fan whore appreciation moment. Okay. This is a part of the podcast. I like to shout out a couple people who support this show on Patreon because y'all are the real MVPs. Y'all the ones who help keep the show going week in and week out or month in, month out. Like Nathan. Nathan, hey, glad you got what you came for, buddy. I know that's going to sound a little ominous and confusing to people who don't know you and me, but hey, like I, you know what I'm talking about, and uh, and and I'm happy for you. So thanks for popping by, and thanks for thanks for the fiver. I think I should say, and I want to say thank you to Wyatt Schultz. Hey, go Hilltoppers, man! That's right. Um, and you too can join Fan Whore Nation and support the work that I'm doing on Patreon. There's actually a few more days left to enjoy this uh, this little special offer. If you get yourself an annual membership at any tier, uh, you can get two free weeks in The Peep Show. The Peep Show is our super dirty, super NSFW group chat where we just share nudes, gifts, and compliments all day, every day. It's a magical, beautiful place. Yesterday, I posted a picture of my asshole. I was just like, I've got a really pretty asshole, right? And people were like, yeah, you do. And I was like, thank you. That's that's The Peep Show. And <laughs> that's available for my $10 and up members on Patreon but if you're not sure if that's going to gonna work out for you and your budget and you just kind of want to try it out, get an annual membership at the 2 or $5 levels and get two free weeks in the peep show because I'm just that kind of guy. I'm confident you, a couple weeks in the peep show and you'll just be like, fuck, uh, I don't need – the kid doesn't need to eat. I need to be in this group. Anyways, become a member today at any tier you want. No pressure, everybody. I'm happy to get any $2 pledges that come my way. Uh, become a member today. Support the pod you love at patreon.com slash Podcast. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. By the way, if I'm ever throwing too many URLs at you, too many promo codes, hey, just go check the, the show notes. I, I've always got links in there. I know sometimes we always forget that there are, there are show notes, but I'm a, I'm a show notes kind of guy. I got links in there for you. Don't I got your back. I'm not going to make you take out a pen and pencil and rewind. Fuck, what was the, you're just, you know, like you've already forgotten. It's manorpod.com slash discord, and that's okay. Just go to the show notes. I got a link for you right there. Uh, Fiona Dawson. Fiona Dawson was so much fun to talk to. This She's one of those uh, very incredibly 
positive, upbeat, happy, smiling human beings where, where they talk to you for 10 minutes and they never lose a smile. And then you start like not trusting them. Like, what are you hiding? What are you hiding back there? Come on. What are you compensating for? But no, some people are just like really fucking happy. I wonder what that's like, but that's pretty cool. <laughs> she's, uh, she's done some documentaries about trans people in the military. She's got a new book coming out called Are Bisexuals Greedy? As well as other ridiculous questions that queer people are faced with. Hey, she's got an, uh, an incredible story. I'm going to let her uh, tell it to you. Just after uh, a few words about my sponsors. And then Fiona Dawson. Here's the thing. As an adult, there's a lot of resources telling you how to be better in bed. But they don't really show you how to do it. That's why I love this week's sponsor, Beducated. Yes, Beducated is an adult sex ed platform with tons of courses using real people showing real techniques. Yeah, we're not relying on diagrams and pussy puppets over here. Beducated offers the best technical videos on upping your sex game I've ever seen. And they're like professionally done, high quality videos, you know, like, yes, it's hot to watch real people showing these sex techniques and like, hey, maybe I've had to take a break once or twice when taking a class, but it's super tastefully done. It's not all porny and trying to look hot, you know, like it's not porn, it's beducated. Subscribers get unlimited streaming access to all of their online courses. That's over a hundred hours of video and audio content. And yes, it works well on mobile. Yep, just just in case you need to brush up on your blowjob skills in the bathroom, they've got you. Oh, and they update their library with new content every week, all right? If, if someone in Finland figures out a new way to finger somebody that results in some new extravagant orgasm, I mean, Beducated's going to get you. They've got it. Beducated loves this podcast, by the way. They love the Man Whore Podcast. Big fans over there. So they love this podcast so much, they're offering my listeners, yes, and my listeners are you. I'm talking about you, the fan horse, uh, or, or a fan of Fiona Dawson's who's just checking in. Beducated loves this podcast so much, they're offering my listeners a one-day free pass to the entire website. Yeah. You can crunch a bunch of courses like it's midterms for coming. Uh, and here's the big one. Here's the big thing. When you use my coupon code, MANHORE, you get 70% off an annual membership for life. For Yeah, indefinitely, you get 70% off. I don't understand how they're going to meet their profit margins, but that's not my problem. You know, that, that's going to come out to about $7.99 a month. How good is that? Oh, their monthly subscription is normally $40 a month. That deal is insane. I don't think they even care about money. I, I think they just want you to be better in bed. So again, use coupon code MANHOR at beducated.com or click the link in the show notes. Hey, I'll make it easy for you. Again, that's code MANHOR at beducated, B-E-D-U-C-A-T-E-D.com. Ooh, did your Christmas presents not go too well? Did she not appreciate the necklace? Did you get some holiday money you don't know what to do with? Well, invest in some pleasure and go get yourself a motor bunny. Yeah, we love the motor bunny over here, which is why I bring one to every manhor con I've ever produced. The motor bunny, if you're not familiar, it's a saddle style vibrator and it's, well, it's really powerful. I, I don't I don't really know how to explain it. It's kind of like a boat engine with a dildo on top. I mean, like if you want some vibes, this will give you some fucking vibes. And their newest toy, the Motor Bunny Buck, is a thrusting sex toy. 
thrusting sex toy, quote unquote. That Yeah, that's the clean way of saying fuck machine. It's a fuck machine. It's a vibrating fuck machine that you can own. Treat yourself or someone special in your life and invest in a motor bunny today. Financing is available and you get $40 off when you use my code manwhore at checkout. Or, you know, click the link in the show notes. We've already had a conversation about links in the show notes. Always a link in the show notes. Or use promo code manwhore at motorbunny.com. Now let's get to the show. We, we love a good uh, threesome story ever at the Man Whore Podcast. And it's a good time for me to introduce uh, director Fiona Dawson and now <laughs> author Fiona Dawson. Yes, yes. Isn't that amazing? It's great to see uh, to hang out with you, Billy. Thank you so much. <laughs> yes, welcome, welcome. Uh, you, you have a, I guess I have to start with the obvious question, but are bisexuals just greedy? Well, you can read chapter 11 to find out, can't you? Of your book. <laughs> of my the book. title. The title is, Are Bisexuals Just Greedy? Yeah. And, <laughs> and 20 other rather direct questions asked of the LGBTQ community. So, yeah, if you want to know, then just read the book. <laughs> uh, you did say you wanted to share something about the dedication. How about we, we start off with that? I do. So the book looks like it's an illustration book for kids, but it's actually written for people who are old enough to swear and talk about sex. So you don't know how I was as a kid. (laughs) Really? (laughs) What, from the age of five? (laughs) From five, it was like, hey, when are we fucking? Okay. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've met your type. (laughs) So the dedication um, says, for dad, please just skip the parts where I talk about blowjobs. Isn't it amazing? And then, then Dad actually wrote the afterword as well. So, um, like, I did not read the part about you giving blowjobs. I did read about your lesbian threesome, but I guess that's okay. He was he was pretty appalled about that, and also about there's a line in here um, talking about biphobia and bi stigma, especially you know from the LGB community or LG community, uh, because a woman I was dating once um, said to me, "Um, "You can't possibly be bisexual. You fuck like a lesbian." It's so freaking ridiculous, right? Uh, how the hell do you fuck like a, you know, a lesbian? Oh, God, uh, <laughs> you know? well, apparently. I mean, that's uh-huh. just what I've, what I've heard. One of the reasons why I put that dedication, you know, please skip the parts where I talk about blowjobs, is because in the introduction, I raised blowjobs about three or four times. Uh, because when I first identified as a lesbian back in 2004, I would tell my friends, oh, my God, I'm so excited. I never have to give a blowjob again. Like, but did you really not like giving blowjobs? <laughs> Back then, no. I really mm. did not like giving blowjobs at all. And then as I came to discover and realize that I'm actually bisexual, I'd be like, shit, am I going to have to give a blowjob again? And then as I learned more, I realized, you know what? Actually, just because you're a lesbian doesn't necessarily mean you're not going to give a blowjob because some women are born with a penis, would like to keep it and have a blowjob, right? Sure. <laughs> so he's like, you know, realizing, building my awareness of trans people and, you know, people, some men are born with a vagina and some women are born with a penis. And mm-hmm. so then by the end of the introduction, I'm like, P.S., you know, dad, shut your eyes. I actually quite like giving a blowjob to the person I love now. Funny how things change. So I've come <laughs> around now on blowjobs. I don't mind blowjobs. Come around now. on blowjobs. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, your, your, sto- <laughs> your story is very interesting um, because like, as I was trying to like prep my page, uh, for this recording, like I kept having to strike out 
the orientation part as I kept getting updated. Cause like first, like, you know, I go to your about page. Oh, identifies it came out as a lesbian in 2004. Oh, great. And then later it's like came out as bi. And then like, I watched the bi video. She's like, I came out as a lesbian. Cause I was in this marriage with a man. I'm like, you've really been, it's like, you're trying on all the letters. Uh, <laughs> yeah, almost. I'll try on any letter that feels right. You know, uh-huh. um, definitely. But I think for me, like my personal journey and experience, like many others, you know, I'm not that unique, is that through your life, you have different levels of awareness of who you know yourself to be. And I think we're living in a really exciting time right now, I think, where we are breaking the binary of our understanding of gender and sexuality and realizing that you know, us human beings are on a spectrum. Some of us are off a spectrum. And it's okay to feel that different labels feel better at different times in your life. You know, I, I identified as straight all the way up until 20, like 26 years of age. Mm. And that's when I came out as lesbian. And, um, you know, today I'm 44. I'm pretty confident that bisexual will probably stay for the rest of my life. But who knows? And like in another 10 or 20 years time, we might have even better language or more language that I'm going to feel is more reflective of who I am. And the most important thing is just to be able to express yourself to the world and like people know who you are. So, you know, hell, we'll see. Like my book might be outdated in five years time. I don't know. (laughs) You know, tell tell us a bit about like your journey of of all this re-identification and figuring out who you really are yeah so I oh I should debunk the accent as well because some people might be hearing me and thinking that I'm British (laughs) and it's not a fake accent the accent came from England but I consider myself from Texas it's just the accent just doesn't reflect that (laughs) wait what serious are you fucking with me no, I'm not fucking with you. Like, <laughs> I mean, it. I I feel that um, my soul needed to get to Texas as soon as possible. Okay. But- you identify as a Texan, but like, just so I don't want to be like, let me see your papers about this, but like, you are British. Is that correct? <laughs> I mean, I've got an American passport. Does that count? I'm just, I'm just trying to get like country of origin. (laughs) (laughs) Country of origin. I was born in England. Yes. And when did you come to the States? In 2000. I only ask that just because like, I do know the way the UK and y'all like handle sexuality is different and similar in other places than how we do here. So I'm just getting an idea of like what your kind of base was for about 20 years before you came and re-identified as a Texan, (laughs) you know? I mean, I even lived in New York and felt like I was, you know, missing home. <laughs> like yeah, well, because like you know, if, if you told me like, "Hey, I was actually raised in Texas, and then I moved to the UK, and then I came back," then I'd be like, "Well, then you're what the what I assume your like sexual foundation was might be different than being raised in New York versus being raised in the UK." Wow. Yeah. No. No. I I understand why you would mm. say that, but for me. I didn't have any awareness of being anything but straight until I was 26. Mm-hmm. And so being raised in the UK, I, I grew up in a really small village called Swineshead. Okay. <laughs> near a small town called Boston. Um, yes, the original Boston. Sounds familiar. Uh, yeah, <laughs> we, we founded Boston, Massachusetts. And so Boston population was around like 36,000 at that time. So I grew up in a very white, very heteronormative 
environment. Um, but I, my DNA was naturally a very inclusive and abrasive of people of all colors and all genders and sexual orientations, but I just never was in my, in my world. Also, my parents did not like us watching TV. They thought that television was the devil. If you watched more than an hour a day, then your eyes might turn square. So we were very limited on TV as well. And I was born in 1977. So we're talking about in the eighties and nineties. I know it. I don't look 45, do I? <laughs> um, but I, so I, I wasn't, that wasn't in my world. And then I went to university, got my degree in psychology and decided to go to Bangladesh. So in 1998, went to go volunteer in Bangladesh, lived there for six and a half months in the jungle in the middle of nowhere. This I didn't have an email address, let alone social media or anything else like that. And uh, toward the end of that But trip, if you don't take pictures of your Bangladesh <laughs> trip, I mean, did it happen? You know, <laughs> if you don't get likes, what's the point? <laughs> it's a great point, Billy. And I, I have, I do have pictures taken on a camera that I had to like go to the shop to get processed. So yeah. Once upon a time, you had to just take a picture and hope you framed it right. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I hated how I looked in them, but there was nothing I could do about it because you yeah, know, you didn't get the- to take twenty shots and pick the best <laughs> no, one. You took a all. shot and you fucking lived with it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. If only we could go back to those days, <laughs> like get rid of these stupid fucking filters. That would be mm. great. Um, <laughs> so I um, met a U.S. Marine in Bangladesh and fell in love. He was super hot. And he got posted to Portugal. And so I went to Portugal to carry on dating him and to teach English. And then he left the Marines and came back to the States. And he's from Texas. So that he brought me to Texas because I married him. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that marriage, it actually um, turned into a very unhealthy marriage. Um, it was um, it became a domestic violence relationship, which is a whole other tangent and story, primarily emotional and verbal. But then in the last six months of my marriage, that's when it was like something uh, something switched inside of me. It wasn't that I'd been hiding or smothering or in denial about feelings of attraction to women. It just started emerging. So realizing that I was in an unhealthy relationship that I'd been attempting to leave many times already, and then coming to understand myself as that time being lesbian. I didn't even stop and think about being bi. It was Mm. like, yes, I'm a lesbian. And then the third thing was knowing that I really wanted to make my life powerful. Like I wanted to do amazing things um, in my lifetime. And so I knew that I had to leave that marriage. So I came flying out the closet as a lesbian in 2004, very quickly entered a relationship for two years with a woman. And then that relationship ended. My mother died. So that's a fun little (laughs) side note. But I think that that mom, like losing my mom also influenced my headspace when it came to relationships. So then it wasn't about my my sexual orientation. It was more like my lack of my capacity to emotionally connect and find somebody to be in a relationship with. So I was kind of pretty much like single for the next like five or six years, like date for three months and then end, you know, Mm. spatter in a few threesomes with some hot women (laughs) and then carry on. (laughs) And then I moved to New York to pursue my uh, media career. And it's not New York that made me bisexual, but I just happened to be in New York when I realized I was bi. So there you go. I was like dating guys on the down low and I was terrified that 
somebody would find out that I was now on a date with a guy because I'd labeled myself as a lesbian and that's who people knew me as. And I was afraid that the community would say that I wasn't gay enough, that I had been pretending to be lesbian and, oh, you've gone back to being straight now and, and all these things. So it was like more confusing. I mean, that is the out. plot of Chasing Amy. <laughs> it is. Like, I mean, often in all of like, historically, like movies have labeled the bi woman, you know, as manipulative, a liar, a cheater, ends up getting murdered, um, using it, you know, to, to get her own way. Um, it's a plot twist. Um, you know, we haven't really been portrayed that positively in film and television. And I didn't know anyone who was bisexual other than one friend who, when I was lesbian, I remember feeling disappointed that she wasn't lesbian. I felt like, oh, come yeah. on, you know, come all the way, which is absolutely ridiculous. Because why do you need her to come all the way? It's just like, she, it, <laughs> you just need her to be into your bits and parts and you. Like, that's, <laughs> that's all you need. Who cares how she feels about anyone else? I know. And she, I actually didn't have, I didn't sleep with her. She just remained a, a platonic friend. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit more about the, 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 if we're backing up about that switch, about that, again, you say you weren't, didn't feel like you were suppressing anything, but all of a sudden there's an urge for other women. What is, what was that switch feels like? How did you respond in your head to that switch? Did you fight it at all? I think that for the first time in my life, I was living within the LGBTQ community. So at that time, I was working for a charity in Houston that helps adults living with HIV and AIDS. Mm. And I was in fundraising and um, volunteer management. And so I was just immersed in the Houston LGBTQ community. Mm. So everybody became my friends, like most of my friends were just all gay. And, you know, I would go to all the gay things. And so I think it was just the exposure and getting to meet people like that. And then at that time I met a woman and the moment we met, it was like fire igniting, you know, those fireplaces where you can click a switch and it just goes, right. Mm -hmm. That was like this feeling that I had with this woman. And it was a feeling that I hadn't experienced with anybody before. And so it didn't seem that foreign, I guess, like it felt like, Oh, like, this is where I belong. Like, of course, I've always been an ally to people, but now I'm feeling like I am part of this community. This is me. And it just, there were no barriers. Like I felt completely safe, like coming out as, as lesbian or gay. Mm -hmm. Um, But I will say also the word lesbian never sat right with me because there's this cultural stereotype of, who lesbians are and, and that world. And every time I went to a lesbian space, I didn't, I felt like a fish out of water there as well. I felt more comfortable. You didn't have a side shave haircut. You didn't have a wallet <laughs> no. on chain. You didn't have any of the stereotypical accoutrement. No, those, those stereotypical people, those are the, those are the people that are hitting on femme people like me. And yeah. I, I kind of felt like they were more aggressive than the straight cis guys. <laughs> I'm like, please yeah. don't eat me up. I've been I've been the cubby hole. It you know sometimes it's just like wow. A lot of, I remember like in, I remember in college like <clears throat> I had um a friend who was not out as as queer yet, and so she and she knew I was at NYU in the West Village. So she would mm-hmm. come into the city and she would hit me up and be like, "Hey, do you want to like go to Cubby or, or Stonewall or something?" And and mm-hmm. like because she just knew I would be chill about it, so I'd be kind of her wingman at these mm-hmm. gay bars while she and but. 
and then I would make friends with like these old dykes at the bar and like they'd be my friend like oh my god you're so fun we'd just hang out for an hour or two drinking while my friend's doing her thing and at the end of the night we began going and they were like you are fun you come back leave your friend at home she's very handsy and aggressive but you you can come back here I was like thanks gals (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome did you ever get questioned going into a gay space or always a, a lesbian space yeah i still but do. like <laughs> but, like do you get like no but why are you here like really interrogated or like have you been to a gay man's bar and then all the men are hitting on you and they're mm. questioning while you're in the bar i'm i don't i haven't like verbally had it probably but like i think at a lesbian bar like a space like for mostly queer women i would have like i can sense some of the eyeballs mm. i get it but I haven't been like interrogated, like, why are you here? It's just more like, why are you here? This is awesome. You know, because <laughs> yes. you know, also like, you know, when I was in college, you know, a little over a decade ago, it was like still it was a novelty for a straight guy with no secret agenda to just be there supportively. Uh, they were like, you're here and you're not trying to secretly fuck us. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you know, so I, I've gotten a little bit of that. <laughs> Yeah. In 2015, I went to a gay bar with a cis straight man who I was dating at the time. And he got hit on incredibly like with gay men there. And it got really uncomfortable. And so the two of us are standing, you know, sipping our drinks or whatever. And this gay guy like starts interrogating us really saying like, why are you here? Like, you Mm. you know, this is a gay bar. And I'm kind of like, I'm bi, like I'm part of the community. Like I grew up in gay bars, you know, and this is my boyfriend. And and he just like completely dismissed it and like, Like, oh, don't be ridiculous. You're like, oh God, you know, you know, don't be ridiculous. Just because you're bi doesn't mean you can get into a gay bar, you know? And then- hits so no I was gonna say and then just keeps hitting on my boyfriend like even when we ask him to stop like he won't just like put him down it was like can you just please fuck off and let us enjoy our drinks in this in this queer space where we actually belong yep. <laughs> but I have made the mistake like of taking a date to cubbyhole once like uh you know it was like a bi chick who I was like, oh, let's go to Cubby. Like it's because like Cubby's my second favorite bar in New York, just like of bars. Yeah. And I was and she had never been. So I was like, oh, let's show you that. But then that's when I could sense, ooh, there's definitely a vibe where like it's clear we're on a date. Like I've taken people in non-sexual situations, like people I'm not hooking up with or dating to a gay bar or like a lesbian bar, and it's fine. But the one time I did it like as a date, I could tell that one I could tell. They were like, you could just go to a different bar. And also, right. like, Cubby's very small. They're like, you're taking up chairs. There's not enough. Like, so yeah. there I could I could sense it. Because we also weren't there to pick anyone up. We weren't right. cruising. We were right. just trying to be in a space that we enjoy. And like, I enjoy queer spaces. They're very friendly. Yes. Uh, yes. But, but yeah, I, I, I get that. Only if I'm like on something that looks like a date. Because this is the problem you're seeing as straight. Like people are making the assumption based on your gender expression Mm -hmm. that there's a straight couple in a queer space. Whereas you're not a straight couple. Like if, you know, she's bi, like I'm bi. When I go to a queer space, I'm still bi. I'm still queer, no matter who I'm with and their gender presentation. And this is like one of the problems and the stigmas with biphobia is that if I'm seen as dating somebody who's presenting as male, the assumption is that we're a straight couple. Right. And that could be further from the truth. Hell, we both might be bi, you know, we're both queer. And I think that this is an opportunity for the LGBTQIA plus community uh, to start like breaking down our own binary sense of 
gender and you know mm. let go of all of these assumptions as well because we should all be welcome in a queer space yeah absolutely so so you know when when you came out as a lesbian and you were also getting out of the marriage like what was the coming yeah. out experience like as well as how did you get out of that marriage i don't know how much the two had to do with each other i like to try and separate the two because I don't want people to think, and this is why I really would love to do that coming out video again on YouTube, because I don't really think I needed to mention that I was coming out of an abusive marriage, because at the time, that was almost like a defense of leaving a marriage, because I was raised Catholic, I consider myself a recovered Catholic now, Mm -hmm. but when I got married, I firmly got married till death do us part, like I had no intention of ever getting divorced. Like he was going to be the person I would be with to the rest of my life. And I know I'm going to live until I'm 91. So it was going to be a long time. So I think I had to uncover, and I didn't realize it at the time, but a lot of my own shame for leaving a marriage and in a domestic violence relationship or an abusive relationship, it's all about power and control. And I had a lot of work I needed to do on myself at that time because I blamed myself for the breakdown of the marriage, even though he clearly admitted. And by the way, he he and I were not friends, but I feel like we've come full circle. We're like, we've resolved that. And he has apologized and he has admitted everything. And I kind of want to give him grace and gratitude mm. for how he is today. Because remember, it's over 20 years ago. Yeah. So like that, that whole marriage piece is just completely in a different bucket, book, chapter, whatever, than the coming out as gay or lesbian. Um, It just so happened to overlap. And I think that me having this greater awareness of myself increased my own power that gave me the courage and the confidence to leave an abusive situation. Which has nothing to do with you being into women, right? Like you need to get out of that marriage because you need to get out of that marriage. Exactly. Who you're going to fuck after that has nothing to do with it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then what was the coming out experience like independent of leaving the marriage? It was awesome. And like, there was no, like coming out isn't a one undone, (laughs) obviously. And I, I tell you, okay. So when I told my family, so here's a freaking fucked up story. So I had been friends with this person that I ended up dating before I left the marriage. And I'd been very honest with my husband about- This is the chick you um, met at the event? Yeah. So yeah, the chick that I met that where the flames ignited, yeah. you know, and we kind of had the hearts for each other. And so I'd been very honest with my husband that I'm having these feelings like, I think I might be gay, like all of this stuff. Like I didn't hide any of that from him. And she invited me out to go watch the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> we, we love Rocky Horror. And so, and so I said to my then husband, look, she's invited me to go to the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It was like a 60 mile drive. Again, we're, you know, we're in Texas, Houston. And it made sense that rather than me driving home at like three, four o'clock in the morning, I should just stay at her house to be safe (laughs) and come back the next day. And he said, if you go, our marriage is over. And so I went. 
And so I sat through, it's great, right? And so like I sat through the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I can't even remember the, the performance really because I was just sat there thinking, I've just left my marriage. I've just left my marriage. Like, what the fuck? For this. So, like, you're pointing at the stage. I left for this. <laughs> so, so, I, so I stayed over and we didn't have sex, but we just like slept in the same bed because, you know, I wanted to like, have a clear end of that relationship before I went and fucked somebody else. I tried my best to like be respectful <laughs> and honest. Um, so, but I stayed the night and the next day was a Sunday. And at that time, my parents would, um, call me every Sunday on the landline just to catch up, right? Because they're in the UK. And my dad called the house or the apartment and spoke to my husband. And my husband said to my dad, Fiona's not here. She's with her lesbian lover. (laughs) And my dad's like, Oh, and like dad had no idea. They didn't even know that their marriage was abusive. Like I'd hidden everything from them. So it kind of like came complete left field. And then my then husband gave my dad her phone number. Because for some stupid reason, I'd given him the number in case, I don't know, for safety reasons or whatever. And so then my dad calls her house and um, and says, um, um, is Fiona there? And um, she hands, the, she looks at me and hands the phone over and says, Fiona, it's your dad. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, serious? Right. Anyway, so I were like sat down, I'm on the phone, dad, hey dad. And like, and, and he's like, what's going on? I'm like, uh, uh, what do you mean? Well, you know, it's been, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a, you know, so-and-so's house or whatever. And, um, and, and he told me what the, my then husband had said. And I'm like, denied everything because I didn't want that to be the coming out moment. Like I didn't want my parents to find out about my sexual orientation through my abusive soon to be ex-husband. Like I wanted to own that. So initially like I denied everything with my parents and I had to first download them on what had been happening in the marriage and the fact that it was abusive and here's the documentation and the evidence. And like, you know, I'd even like called hotlines you know for help and hidden myself in the bathroom and like hidden myself in the closet and like I've been dealing with a hell of a lot of shit and I I had to deal with that first before coming out and so that was like in around the April time and then by I think the summer like June July August whatever it was clear that I was going to start dating this person and like be in a relationship with her and that's when I remember like telling my parents um actually you know so and so and I are in a relationship like I'm gay and they were extremely supportive. They just didn't get it because all through my teenage years, I had posters of boys on the wall, right? Mm. I loved Johnny Depp and Corey Haim and Balthazar Getty and, you know, all those beasts. <laughs> and so that's what had filled my teenage years. And I'm like, what do you mean? How can you possibly be gay? I'm like, I'm like, I am. This is amazing. And my sister said to me, she's like two years younger. She goes, but Fiona, like, don't you miss sex? <laughs> I'm like, no, I, this is the best fucking sex of my life. She's like, but but don't you miss dick? And I'm like, no, I, I hope I never have to touch a dick again. That would be great, you know? And that was the whole, like, I never want to give a blowjob, you know, scenario. And then my my mom talked to my best friend and apparently the conversation between them went down like something like this, like, oh, Fiona will try anything once. And, you know, to which I replied, well, I'll try anything once and twice if I'm not sure. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, really, you know, that's my, I'm lucky. Like my coming out experience was like a moment of hilarity. Um, and then because of my work and being a part of the community, it was almost like a celebratory, like, yay, you're one of us. Come on, 
come on in and you know I'm I'm but I mean I carry all kinds of freaking privileges like the you know white color skin and an accent that people like so it's like it's easier for me in many ways where I don't have to give so many fucks about what people think because I've got these elements of safety and so that's why mm-hmm. it's very important for me to be vocal and to be out and to like say this is me because the more people who express themselves as their identities were the more space and doors were opening for other people to have the courage to do the same thing and then we can like get rid of these stupid boxes that we're all put in yeah yeah well then <laughs> when did when did you realize well maybe dick's not all that bad I think actually it's only recently again like I'm 44 next birthday I'll be 45 I would say even though I came out as bi in my early 30s it's not until I've approached my 40s that I actually started to enjoy sex with cis guys more than I ever had like Mm. Like growing up, like I lost, I lost my virginity when I was nearly 16. And um, so I've been having, you know, sexual relationships for a while. And I think a lot of in the early years, it was more because that's what you're meant to do. I was less present and conscious within that sexual experience. And then of course, when you're in an abusive relationship, it really fucked up my relationship with my body and my relationship with sex. And so for a long time, sex was very much a performance and that's what you just did because you're meant to have sex. And then as I hit 40 and then turned into my forties, all of a sudden, like the whole world opened up sexually. And I'm like, I became more in tune with my body and more amazed about how things can great that they can feel. And I think um, to answer the question about when did I decide penises were okay? <laughs> I guess it, it was like I started to, I had sexual relationships with people with penises that actually made the experience okay. <laughs> and I think it was, you know, that connection and that sexual excitement. So a combination of my own self-discovery of my body and then also the type of people that I was having sex with and it began to like be not so bad. <laughs> so, obviously, and obviously, so obviously like when you become more comfortable with your body and like what feels yeah. good for your body, like sex gets better regardless of whom it's with. But it sounds like uh, the type of guys you were hooking up with or, or sleeping with or dating that they were just a type of dude who was more conscientious and better in bed and things like that. So so it yeah. may not, it doesn't sound like there was like a new desire for dick, but you realize, oh, some of the dicks know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. And like for me, like sexual attraction or, you know, we all have like these attraction boxes in our head mm-hmm. that can be broken down into love, romance and sex. And you can have different degrees of attraction on those three different scales. And so when I started coming out as bi and having sexual experiences with cisgender men again, it was not a desire for dick. It was more of a desire for intimacy and connection. And I think one of the glorious things about being bi is that you can find that connection with people of any kind of body uh, type. Yeah. You know, and we have to remember like one in 100 people are born into sex, which means that they can have any variation of male and female sex tissue and hormones. And so I really try to use language that breaks down, you know, the binary of like, you know, men have dicks and women have vaginas. And um, so, yeah, it's like 
it's less about the dick and more about the person that owns the dick. For sure. For sure. <laughs> but, but, you know, in your early 30s, when you realized that you were bisexual, what what was that light switch moment? And what were the internal processes you, when you realized that you were into women and you started to identify as lesbian? It sounded like you were pretty chill about that internally. And I wonder if you were just as chill about it internally when when you realize actually it's it bi is more the label it was much harder to come out as bi than lesbian mm. and um i began to realize it when you know i was single and being asked out on a date or like i'm going on a dating app like i'm trying to i want to date and so then you're questioning like okay so what are my options like what am i looking for type of person and realizing that i was turning down dates with guys because I'd labeled myself a lesbian. So it'd be automatically like, no, I can't, I'm a lesbian. No, I'm a lesbian. And then there was a point where I'm like, hang on a minute, I'm saying no, I'm a lesbian, but my brain is actually saying, and, and not just my brain, like, you know, my, my spiritual being <laughs> is saying, but I'm really attracted to you. And it was almost like, oh shit, I can't say yes because I'm a lesbian. Oh, I wish I could. <laughs> oh, well. You know? And I'm like, hang on, what the fuck? Like, I'm the one that gives myself that label. Like, I And so I went on dates with guys on the down low and I was terrified of the gay community finding out that I was dating on a date with a guy because I'm this lesbian. And I, I was the female grand marshal for the Houston Pride Parade in 2009. You know, mm -hmm. I was that gay. And like, and I had to like go online and look at the requirements and see like, can only lesbians be <laughs> martial, right? So, you know, if I come out as bi, are they going to be like, Fiona's a fraud, give us that award back. You know, you're no, you could, you know, you can't be a, a pride grand give marshal. Give us back those Birkenstocks. You don't deserve them anymore. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, thankfully I found out, though, bi people were somewhere <laughs> in the small print, you know? <laughs> and, um, and so then I, because of, been known in the Houston community as a lesbian I felt like it was important to tell people you know and even though my YouTube video looks like it was uploaded by a dinosaur of course these days because you know people are on TikTok doing all kinds of cool shit now and you know um you're like oh gosh I, if I had to, if you had to do it today you'd have to do some stupid dance while you say hi I'm a bisexual I know uh, I've got no coordination whatsoever like I cannot dance or sing or whatever so I'm like I'm so intimidated by TikTok but yeah no I, t I told like a few people privately first because I wanted to make sure that people would have my back you know when I came out as bi um and then but I have heard some like shitty things like you know when I was later dating a lesbian and the lesbian friend saying, well, lesbian girlfriend saying you can't possibly be bisexual because you fuck like a lesbian. <laughs> and like, that's, you know, that might sound like a compliment, but it's actually like a microaggression. And then, you know, a gay friend of mine, um, who's a journalist and should really know better. Uh, we're leaving brunch and I'm dating you know, like a cis straight man. And he says to me, oh, so Fiona, you know, have you gone back to the other team, you know, back to being straight now? And I'm like, no, I'm still bisexual. Um, 
And so it's just it's like the only thing you seriously if you had both a man and a woman on either arm to be like (laughs) this because I think that's what people think bisexual has to mean. It's so wild as if like if you don't indulge both things at the same time, you don't like I like chocolate and vanilla ice cream. And if I don't but like I can have just one at a time. Uh, I do think it's awesome when you have both together. But, you know, sometimes you can't afford two tubs of ice cream at the same time for this metaphor. Exactly. It's like, you know, doing a Google search and the Getty image comes up of bisexual, you know, and it's like this person, a woman on a bench with, you know, two men either side and like that, you know, one's cheating and one's a hidden secret and everything. And, you know, bisexual people have this stigma that we're all promiscuous and, you know, you don't have to be bisexual to be promiscuous you can be straight and promiscuous i'm not sure if you knew that billy but i mean um, <laughs> it is it is the man whore podcast exactly <laughs> so you know you like every, any person of any sexual orientation can be in all these things like some of us are asexual some of us are monogamous some of us are non-monogamous some of them you know it's like relationship setup is not necessarily rooted in your sexual orientation like we can all have any kind of relationship that consensually fits with the type of relationship that we want to be in and up until this point like I've always been in monogamous relationships Mm -hmm. um but having just listened to your previous guest (laughs) maybe I might try non-monogamy the other side of that spectrum yeah. uh, we, we found like, mean, open arms and there are a ton of arms because there's no limit on how many arms you can enjoy now Amazing. Uh, <laughs> well, i was gonna ask like you know you yeah. in your coming out video you you had mentioned it so it was you know that you seem to feel like you were monogamously bisexual yeah and, but it sounds like there are some new thoughts on that Definitely, because what I'm trying to figure out now, and I don't have the answer, is do I want to be monogamous because I want to be monogamous? It's so hard to even pronounce the fucking word. Um, Or am I choosing monogamy because that's what society has told me and like that's what I've been raised to be. So all of these experiences of coming out have been when I've shed a layer of what society was telling me to be. So it's like Mm -hmm. elevating my own sense of consciousness. And so you know, I, I do have somebody in my life that meets my sexual needs right now. <laughs> and it's pretty monogamous. But at the same time, like we're both having discussions of like, but what does this relationship look like? Like what mold do we want it to fit in? Mm-hmm. And where and where is the line between putting it into this framework because that's what feels right to us versus putting it in the framework because that's what society is saying. And I think that I mean, I'm definitely open to like trying anything. Like, like my mum said, like Fiona will try anything once. (laughs) So it's like, and also, you know, (laughs) I was also taught, you know, try it because you don't know if you like it unless you try it. You know, I think mum meant vegetables, but (laughs) 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 I mean, it can relate to anything, right? Because you can always like, as long as everybody's safe and, you know, consenting and everything, then how do you know that? non-monogamy doesn't work unless you've experienced it and that's what the gay dudes at the bars were telling me how do you know if you didn't try it Mm. (laughs) i mean sometimes you do know let me put that yeah there is there is that level of intuition but i read the ethical slut you know back in 2018 you know i think isn't that the bible billy have you got it right there (laughs) yay 
I had to like, when I abandoned Brooklyn with the pandemic and came back to Texas for various reasons, unfortunately, I left my ethical slut with my friends. So I can't, you know, I need, I need to get my book back. Um, but I think, um, I think it's like jealousy is really about one, like society telling you that you should be jealous mm-hmm. and two, your own internal lack maybe of confidence and self-esteem because when I am strong internally I realize that just because somebody has a desire for someone else it doesn't mean that their desire for me has decreased and in the same way um, when parents have children when they have a more than one child they don't then have to split the love (laughs) between the kids like it just grows and multiplies unless you're my father and then we all know who the favorite (laughs) is That's the thing. Like, I like people love to bring up the like, but you love all your kids equally. But like, also parents usually don't like, like, (laughs) like I get what the spirit of the comparison, but I don't think it holds because we all know a lot of parents have that one kid where like, I do love you all. I do love this one more, and that really is more of a uh, that's more of a comparison for like hierarchical poly. If anything, where it's like, yeah, no, I love all of you. I do love this one the most. And this is my primary. But all my other children are secondary partners and we love them, too, I suppose. Um, That that explains a lot of things. Yeah. (laughs) I I think, you know, people definitely have a hard time thinking about bisexual people as monogamous because – you know, if you're in, if you're quote unquote into one gender or one type of genitalia or, or whatever, you know, you think, okay, well, you find the person for that. I buy monogamy because, oh, you found one and you're getting that from them constantly, whatever. But then if you're, if you're some kind of queer and you like different things, well, how do you pick which one to be with in perpetuity? Don't you need to leave the door open to sometimes try the other things? Because people can't imagine the idea of wanting something and denying themselves that thing, even though that's exactly what monogamy is. We, you want to fuck other people, you choose not to. Uh, but so, so there, is, I think that's where a lot of the the weird like by by people can't be monogamous stuff comes from. Because it's like, but then if you're if you're dating someone with a pussy, well, then how are you ever going to get dick? Or if you're dating someone with dick, how are you ever going to get pussy? Uh, you know. But doesn't the argument still hold true for like straight cis people? Because like, let's take a straight cis guy. Maybe he likes all the pussies, but he gets married and commits himself to one pussy. What's the mm-hmm. difference? Like for a bi person, you know, you you could might commit yourself to one pussy or one dick or one person who has a combination of pussy and dick, mm-hmm. and you've made your decision and that's it. And and it's because attraction can be more than just sex and more yep. than attraction just to body parts. And there's so much more to committing to one person, um, you know, <laughs> thing, you know, emotional connection, love connection, like building a life together and all that crap. And so I, I know I will always be by and regardless of the genitals or the gender of the person that I commit to, it's that person I'm committing to regardless of, you know, what their body is like. It's, it's, that's who I want to be with. And I know I can do monogamy. I'm just open to thinking about non-monogamy, especially because marriage was institutionalized, you know, when people's life expectancy was up to what, the age of 30. I mean, you'd get married at 15 and, you know, and then you'd fucking have a few kids and then you'd be dead. So, (laughs) you know, marriage was, and it was designed to like control people and women were property. And, you know, there's all these 
BS reasons why we have marriage. You know, now we're going to live so much longer. It seems more logical to me that you're not going to have one person till death do us part. And yeah, I'm open to that. And if I may open your mind a little more to the thing, you know, it's I view monogamy as the extreme end of a spectrum, like asexuality is at the end of a spectrum. So as soon as even if you and and the person you're seeing decide like, hey, we like fucking maybe we'll play together once in a while if it hits. Guess what? You're now non-monogamous also. So even if it's uh, we're going to have a threesome together once in a blue moon that's still not monogamous welcome to the club and yeah. uh and and then it's just a matter of negotiating like to what extent of things i yeah. also agree the like connection it that those connections are more than just about sex what i've been telling someone who i've been seeing who is newer to non-monogamy i've been stressing to her like i like having the freedom to explore connections and i'm yeah. also okay having rules to those connections like if someone said you know, I could date you like this, but like I, you know, and see who you want to see on the side, but like, please don't fuck anyone else. Let's take, let's pretend that was see, like, don't put your penis in someone else's vagina or uh-huh. asshole. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'd be like, great, because I love going on dates and connecting and forming some sort of like non-sexual connection up here or over here and then we're just talking about like what we can or can't do together okay i can't i can't put my dick inside your pussy great let's go down let's hang out and watch a movie and then go down on each other for hours like whatever it is like i just enjoy connecting and that's what non-monogamy means for me is like a freedom to enjoy other connections and if there have to be some rules built around it i'm game yeah yeah Yeah. i think i think that we should have more relationships like this uh, because I think that people become, you know, so het up and jealous because, you know, their their boyfriend, you know, could be cheating on them. And it's going to completely eliminate cheating, first of all. You know, well, it's like, let's just have a conversation cheating. I, I think it. it. I think it redefines cheating because just like yeah. a relationship is whatever two or three or four or 12 people want the one relationship to be. I mean, again, even within monogamy, what counts as cheating varies like there are people who think watching porn is cheating which is <laughs> fucking cuckoo bananas but like you know cheating is don't have sex or hook up with other people okay that's what cheating is in a rela- in a non-monogamous relationship like the one i'm in or we have to use condoms with other people because we're fluid bonded if i didn't use a condom with somebody else i would be cheating it's just yeah. what cheating is depends on the contract you form together. And any if you break the agreement, that's what cheating is. Cheating isn't yeah. hooking up with other people. Cheating is not following the agreement that you set, which could be, if you're monogamous, hooking up with other people. Yeah. And it's great that we can all form the unique contract that is going to work within our relationship. Like, what do you feel like you're, what do you feel like? I know like things are complicated right now and answer to your comfort level, but what do you have a hunch of what kind of relationship model might be more ideal for you? Oh, for me, what would be ideal for me, I think is more on the monogamous side. I think that being able to meet both of our needs within the relationship, I'm definitely open to non-monogamy, but together. Mm -hmm. And rather like the thought of them 
sexually being with somebody else without me there, I'm not sure whether I'm ready for that, but I could imagine that a world could exist when I am. But I think that it would be fun to be able to like play together, you know, and have sexual experiences together uh, because I haven't done all of that. You know, I've already jokingly told you about, you know, the, the ode to my lesbian threesome up here with my tits on the wall. <laughs> um, but that's as adventurous. Well, actually, no, it's not as adventurous. I have done something else. It was pretty fun. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm ready. I'm ready to explore more, you know, throughout, throughout my entire life. I always want to continue growing in all the aspects of who I am as a human being. And sexuality is an important part of that for me. You know, intimacy and play are two of my core values. Mm. And I, you know, I, I don't ever want to be restricted. So we could see like, if this relationship lasts, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, if we entered into like, you know, thruples or, partner swapping and swinging kind of swinging yeah, yeah. Which, stuff together which, <laughs> yeah stuff together I mean but then who knows because I mean you know I've been listening to podcasts and listening to other people's stories and you realize that you know people can start somewhere and then it just can merge into a whole new way of living that feels so right for them and I'm always open to knowing that I don't know <laughs> Well, I don't know. I think a relationship is, uh, you know, I think it's like the constitution. I think it's a living document. I know conservatives yes. don't agree with me very much, but I think it's an <laughs> ongoing conversation. And, you know, so, but, but what's really cool is that I think if you're monogamous, it can be very threatening if someone even brings up the idea, even if you say it's okay if you don't want to. I, I've been feeling like maybe some kind of open or poly or whatever situation might be nice to do how do you feel about it some people will break up if a partner even mm. brings up the idea of opening up the relationship however as soon as you are like both cool even if it was like what you said hey I'm baby we'll we'll play with other people but only together whatever it may be as soon as you're on you're as soon as you're not on the monogamy far end of things I think it's always safe to bring up altering mm-hmm. the terms of the relationship in a way that you can't really do a monogamy. So you can always like loosen and tighten back up within non-monogamy. And I think that just shows like how much freedom and trust that there is over there. Mm-hmm. I wish we lived yeah. in a world where like you could say, I was thinking about like these open relationships. I hear people, you know, is that something you'd ever be interested in? And the other person could say, you know, really definitely not. And then the other person's like, okay, that's fine. And then it. Does, I wish you could just do that. But yeah, a lot of people fucking lose their minds. Yeah. I would say like, even with us just talking about it, because we've been talking about it a lot for a long time and just having those conversations, I think keep bringing us closer and closer together and stronger. Like mm-hmm. it increases our trust because we can have those conversations that a lot of people would just like run from or like break up from. And so then once you're having these conversations and then every now and then like I'll get society's voice in my head coming back around and saying, you know, this is wrong. Like, you know, it's disrespectful. Uh, That's not what a relationship should be like, but I can very quickly like push that aside, but those are the messages that come to us. And I think that those messages are often rooted in insecurity 
Yeah. So if I compare myself to my sister, who's extremely different from me and would never have these conversations and would never open up her relationship mm. and it'd be more like, no, because I, you know, there's, I'm not good enough. Like there's something wrong with me. Like if my partner wants to open up and be with others, then it means that I'm not fulfilling a need. And that's just completely not true. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think the reason why I'm able to like be thinking about this and having these conversations is because my own self-esteem is increasing and you know I'm I'm more secure in who I am and knowing that you know us playing or him having an experience with somebody else doesn't mean that I'm not worthy or there's something wrong with me hmm. I mean and hell it means I can go have fun too <laughs> exactly exactly uh, so I you know I, I I noticed you have a it seems like a slight obsession with uh, trans people in the military no uh, not an obsession <laughs> but know. you've done uh, you've done some work you've done a, a, a doc a documentary short with the New York Times, you did this longer um, uh, documentary, Trans Military. But you, what is your connection to that? How did you find yourself being a documentarian of that subject? Yeah, I fell into being a documentarian. I never wanted to be a documentarian. Really? Um, no, yeah, really. Um, I actually, I wanted to be on camera, in front of the camera, host oh. my own show, which is what I'm working on now. But I, as a as an ally to trans people, you know, I had been doing a lot of fundraising and awareness building along with hundreds of other people uh, promoting the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. And that was a law that banned lesbian, gay and bi people from serving in the military. And that got repealed in 2010, went into effect in 2011. I go to New York to pursue my media career. And during that time, I came to realize that trans people were still banned. And so I kind of felt ashamed that all the time, through DADT, we'd been saying that LGBT people need to be able to serve, when in fact, this had nothing to do with trans people and gender identity. It was very much centered on sexual orientation. So I felt like we needed to finish the job because when I say I'm going to do something, I typically try to do it. (laughs) And so I felt like I needed to finish that. Um, And I had many people, friends who were trans and veterans and in the military, like trans people are twice as likely to serve than cisgender people. And so I easily like, got connected with friends and started filming and documenting their stories. And originally I started this in 2012, as I said, and it was going to be part of my unscripted series now with Fiona and which I would be a host and I would compare and contrast between the UK and the US because in the UK trans people could serve since 1999, which was before lesbian gay bi people could serve. So I kind of doing a compare and contrast but then when the New York Times wanted to pick up the project, they very much didn't want Fiona as the host. <laughs> they wanted it to be a documentary. And I'm like, okay, I'll, t- I'll do it for the cause. I'll get behind the camera. Uh, oh, my which God. I had- they were like, hey, oh, no, white lady, can you just like decenter yourself for a moment? <laughs> exactly. White cisgender lady, can you, you get out of like, the way? Oh. You're like, I wanted to be a star, but I get it. There's a cause. This is bigger than me. Uh, exactly. I was like, all right, we'll do it for these trans people. And so, yeah, the, the short got picked up and I was teamed up with my um, colleagues, Gabe Silverman and Jamie Copeland at Side by Side Studios. And the three of us together did uh, Transgender Warren in Love. And then the story wasn't finished. And then they were like, let's do a feature documentary. And I was like, but I really want to do a TV show that I host. But okay, let's do a documentary for the course. (laughs) And so we did, but, you know, joking apart, it was obviously like a great thing that happened. I learned so much in how to make film. I think it was 
good for me to be behind the camera on these projects. And it did help educate people. It helped end the ban. It got a few awards <laughs> that's helped me go to the next things with my career. And um, I just get, get so viscerally and painfully affected when I see people who are treated unfairly, who are targets of stigma and discrimination, and I want to fix it and I want to make it better. And so that's really kind of what fired me up about advocating for trans people in the military, because no one was really sharing their stories or pointing a light on this. And, you know, the military is the most gender binary workplace you'll find. And so when you can show that trans people are serving in the military, then you can help shift perception of gender and realize that trans people have always been a part of our society and and should have equity in all areas of life and the military is like one kind of microcosm to be able to help reach an audience that wouldn't typically look at a story about trans individuals so mm. yeah and even it's, being as uh, as red as you are and being like engaged in in the issues doing the documentary or documentaries uh was it one documentary and they made a short of the footage of the main one or did you do two separate situations i only saw the short yeah two separate so what happened was the new york times picked up the short one that's 13 minutes gotcha. um in in 2015 and then and trans military was a few years later that was a separate yeah Okay. 2018. But we the same teams worked on it though. Sure. So so yeah. but in in shooting those documentaries was there anything that even you didn't know that you learned while doing it? Very much so, and not just about gender being trans, but also the military culture and military environment because as a civilian we don't have the experience of really having to come together and be a part of something that's greater than yourself. Like service members in general have such a strong unit cohesion that they are definitely there for the cause rather than for them as individuals. And I think that that's one of the reasons why trans service members are really great advocates for trans people in greater society as well, because they're putting their combined story together and raising it up together rather than just look at me, you know, profile just me. Um, and, and it's like they're on a mission. Like the goal was to end the ban and all service members just banded together and worked on it together as a team in a way that I hadn't seen in my other advocacy work in in greater society because in society there's like a lot more kind of infighting and ego involved and like you know someone wants to be the superstar and just the only person that's out there whereas the military <laughs> like they kind of like oh I don't know what I'm talking about right now no 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 it's <laughs> but, just like um, <laughs> I think you're, you're inadvertently you inadvertently mentioned this urge that some people have that even yourself had in yeah. in a in a way where it was like star okay fine i don't have to be the star but like i you know we kind of all want to be the star especially if we're right. in entertainment so it's hard to put yeah you know to put to put yourself behind the camera is is not always everyone's urge when you want to be the star so to do so is like definitely takes a gotta pull it together fiona yeah. and you know <laughs> put the right people in front of the thing yeah. I mean, and it also, it taught me how to direct, write, produce mm -hmm. and do all the things and work with editors and animators and that kind of stuff. And so the work that I've done, you know, since Transmilitary, I've been able to do um, and spearhead as, as the director because I learned from Gabe, who, you know, directed 
transmilitary with me and because I you know I learned from these other things and so I think I learned a lot as a filmmaker and like a technical side of it and then advocacy and and storytelling um and and you know the trans service members whose stories we were documenting and sharing are really my chosen family now like we we're bonded for life and they have really been such inspirations for me, you know, personally and professionally. Mm-hmm. And yeah, one of the greatest experiences. <laughs> well, Fiona, thank you for uh, chatting with me today. Gosh, so much fun. Uh, I love it. I love it when we get a, a surprise fisting story. In things. <laughs> oh, just don't think, tell my dad. It's okay. I think I'm going to put that behind the paywall. So uh, your dad's might your dad might have to cough up five bucks if he wants to hear that. Uh, but <laughs> Sounds people, good. Where can people go to find more of you, more of your work to uh, to get yeah. your book? Are bisexuals just greedy? Mm-hmm. Yum 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 yum. Um, <laughs> they should definitely um, get the book. Go to nowwithfiona.com forward slash are bisexuals just greedy, and you can give me your name and email, and I will send you a an email when it is being released. So, but I do want you to be eager to not only read chapter 11, answering are bisexual just greedy, but then chapter 12 goes into which is better bisexual or pansexual. So that's a whole other sweet conversation. That's a whole other, uh, conversation debate. Uh, and I've learned that there's apparently no right answer. Someone will still be mad at you. And that's <laughs> exactly. the world we live in. Uh, but Fiona, you were so much fun. Uh, thank you so much for chatting with us. And why don't you go ahead and say goodbye to everybody. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you so much. <laughs> Was I that funny or does she just laugh at everything? I I don't think I earned all the laughs that I got, but I also will take them just in case laughter becomes currency one day. Uh, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Fiona Dawson. Definitely go check her out. Hey, we've got a bonus episode coming out tomorrow exclusively on Patreon. And in that bonus episode, she's going to tell us about this, uh, this her, her first threesome this lesbian threesome she accidentally fell into. Uh, and then she's also going to tell us just about like that first time having sex with another woman after leaving her marriage. Really cool stuff. Of course, you can gain access to that bonus episode and over 200 bonus episodes at patreon.com slash Podcast. While you're over there, get an annual membership. You'll earn two free weeks in the Peep Show. Hey, just throwing it out there. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, or hey, even if you didn't enjoy the episode, give it a shout out on social media. You know, we love hearing what you think about these conversations. You know, me and my guests, and and I sp- say this as someone who who goes on a lot of other podcasts too. You know, we spend a half hour, an hour, five hours with with these uh, these people we barely know having conversations for you, and we never really know if it was any good. We're just like. Hope they enjoyed that one. <laughs> when you give us a shout out on Twitter, when you tag us on your Instagram story, something like that, you know, it makes a whore feel heard. I'm at the Billy Proceed on Twitter. I'm at Billy is Proceed on Instagram. Uh, and you can always shoot me an email at manwhorepod at gmail.com. I would love to get your slutty New Year's resolutions. Send them on in. I want to know what my fan base is trying to get up to. Who knows? Maybe I'll have some tips and tricks. You can also share what you thought about this week's episode in the episode discussion channel in the Champagne Room. Connect with hundreds of like-minded listeners and introduce yourself today at manwhorepod.com slash discord. 
Make good decisions this New Year's, everybody. I I, I can't, I'm not going to even pretend anymore to guess what a good decision is, but you know, follow your conscience. It's that little annoying voice in the back of your head that's telling you something you don't really want to hear, but you know is right, right? Maybe listen to that one this year. I made a great decision last New Year's Eve. You know, when I when I decided to end a relationship that was not working for me. You can't get the time back, everybody. Make those tough decisions that you know are the right ones. Go live your bestest fucking lives and stay slutty. If you care like to ask about these paintings in the background, um, that's I made them uh, one drunken night, and those are my tits on there. Like it's my naked body. <laughs> oh, um, well, you want you want to first start with your titties being pressed against the canvas. <laughs> we are Do rolling. We... So I think okay. that's perfect. Should I just way tell you start. the story? Okay. I thought you were going to say you got drunk and like had all like all your period blood. Is what you were use. That's why I thought you were going with it. But now I see the orbs. I see what's going on.